the discussion, the organization undoing tax abuse or outer says it believes that um, it is of utmost importance to ensure that the SABC, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, has strong legislation and policies that govern it to enable the entity to restore public trust and to guarantee editorial independence. I suppose this is a very important one, right? We are headed into an election year and for a long time now the SABC has been viewed as, uh, well, let's use the word biased, that, uh, you know, pro-ANC, pro the ruling party, is their editorial independence, well, well, one wonders. The organization says it is uh, an undeniable fact that the SABC has been plagued for years by financial instability and management issues, and this contributed to the unfortunate erosion of trust in the public broadcaster. We discussed the matter with Outer's Andrea van Heerden. Uh, Good evening, Andrea. Hi, good evening, Junaid, and thank you so much for having us this this afternoon, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea, well, well, you know what, I suppose middle afternoon and evening these days anyway, Andrea, whatever time of day it is for you. Is there any uh, way that the country could afford to lose its public broadcaster? I mean, look, there are countries that don't have necessarily Mm. uh, a national broadcaster. I'm I'm thinking the US, I'm thinking Canada. Mm. And then there are those who have held on to their national broadcaster in one way or the other, the BBC, etc. Many countries for that matter. We here in South Africa, well, we're unique in many ways. How do Mm. we fare? Do we need a a viable, strong public broadcaster or can we move away into the independence? What's your thoughts on that? Hello, Junaid. Absolutely. I think Arta is firmly of the belief that it is very important to have a national broadcaster because the SABC or national broadcaster reaches individuals or, or citizens of South Africa who don't necessarily have access to other ways of receiving information. And as you mentioned, with the upcoming elections now, it is of vital importance that these people are educated with regard to their rights of voting and the options available to them. So there's, there's no, no doubt. It is absolutely important to have a national broadcaster. The question is not necessarily whether or not it is necessary. The question is, how can it be effective? And the only way for it to be effective is it is financially uh, independent and it maintains its uh, editorial in- in- integrity and independence. Uh, Andrea, on that point, I mean, you stated in a submission to the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies on the SABC bill, which has been out, of course, for public comment, that one of the most critical areas where the SABC's model has failed has, in fact, been uh, the, the right funding model. Now, one mm. wonders, I mean, you have the independence out there, news, media, television, etc. that have been able to make some sort of a business deal out of it. Granted, business, any type of business has its challenges these days. But you've seen a number of successful models. One wonders why the SABC, with government funding, with a footprint that is undeniably the king and the queen in this country, and the allowances are there to have you know private advertisers, whichever so once in a while you hear, they haven't been able, with all these advantages, haven't been able to make a financial go of it. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's very important to first just look at the breakdown on how the funding model currently looks like. So um, if you look at the funding model, uh, model of the SABC, only 3% of the revenue generated or the funds comes directly from the fiscus. 16% comes from the collection of TV license fees and the rest, the 80%, is entirely dependent on advertising. 
Now, that is exactly what Arthur is saying. Now you're relying on 80% of advertising costs to fund a national broadcaster. Yet it only gets 3% from the fiscus, and then it tries to collect TV licenses, but it can only collect up to 16%, which is absolutely nothing. Mm. So there needs to be a complete overall of this funding model in order for the SABC to be successful. Mm. You know, this this issue here of, of course, TV licenses, right? I mean, we mm. live in an age where, fine, you, you can still get a plasma TV at your local box store, whatever, but you don't really need a TV in your house, do you? I mean, we've, we've mm. got smart gadgets we can access even sabc content uh, later on at our discretion and we would require no license for that Uh, fine you know the the focus is on license collection and the sabc needs to do a better job in raking in that 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 tv license but you know what isn't this sort of like uh you know that investing in that investing in that donkey buggy that sooner Mm. or later is going to go out of date and we need to rethink out of it Absolutely. I mean, let's be honest, we have to rethink about it now because it's completely outdated. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think a couple of years back or many, 10, 20 years back, you were supposed to pay for a radio license as well. And that fell by the wayside because it was just impractical. It didn't keep up with, with, the, with the newer technology or the way that the fourth industrial revolution is, is continuing on this trend. So it's completely outdated. And to try to, to maintain a national broadcast on a funding model that doesn't work. I mean, it's one thing to have legislation, as you have with the Broadcasting Act that introduces this TV license fee collection. But if you can't enforce the law, it becomes ineffective. And that's exactly what's happening with the, the collection of TV license fees. We're just saying they, they're flogging a dead horse. It's not working. People are are very apathetic when it comes to paying of TV licenses because the argument out there is that I don't even watch SABC. I have no need for that programming, yet you expect me to pay a TV license. So what Arthur is saying is if you look at the the nature of this fee, it actually comes down to a possession tax because you have to pay something just because you're merely in possession of a television set. Not necessarily that you're making use of the television set to watch an SABC-funded program. Mm. Um, Andrea, I mean, looking forward, right? I mean, uh, what sort of business models should be out there that the SABC needs to be looking at? One thing is obviously going to be advertising, advertising, but then other type of initiatives to generate income and to ensure the fiscal viability of the SABC. Yeah, well, we say, as Arthur, we are saying that it is important that because, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at just um, the definition of what a tax is and what the broadcaster's mandate is, it is important that the SABC actually be be regularly funded through the fiscal, through through tax that people pay because of the importance of this entity. So a funding model needs to be developed where we can go look at South Africa's finances and see where we can cut costs on programs that are outdated and perhaps funnel that money to this national broadcaster because it is important to keep it around. That's just one example that we can use. But what is interesting enough is this new bill doesn't even propose a funding model. Nothing. It just says that the minister has, after this bill is accepted or the act enacted, then they have three years to come up with the funding framework, not just, not just a model, but a framework. And we are saying that the SABC can't wait that long. We need solutions now. And interesting enough, there is 
policy um, in the making for the past nine years now. It's the draft white papers on audio and audio um, audiovisual content that actually determines the policy. It's where the, the, the bill is subject to this policy. Yet that is not being finalised. So it's one thing to have the bill, but in the meantime, they're working on the policy and the policy is looking at ways how to fund the national broadcaster. Andrea, thank you for joining us uh, this evening with this uh, discussion and uh, looking forward to some follow-up and hopefully some <laughs> you know, good solutions coming, positive solutions out there for the SABC in the interest of media in general. Thank you for your time, Andrea. Thank you so much for having us. Have a wonderful afternoon. Outers Andrea van Heerden. Uh, you know, one wonders, and it's actually quite surprising, that the, a- that the SABC rather hasn't um, gone the way of SAA. I, I suppose that the uh, the discussion actually is this year that uh, the, the SAA uh, is less of a <clears throat> of a needed entity in in government. I mean, after all, it transports who the few elite here and there that can afford uh, you know uh, other forms of of, of transportation and, and the other working class which the government may not be interested or care about to begin with. But the SABC carries a message, right? Uh, radio and TV. Uh, carries a a message and for any political entity to survive it is the message and the outreach that's going to reach your public that ultimately matters in whatever language and control over it is inevitable. I mean come to think of it whenever there's a coup d'etat coup you know a change of uh, uh, a violent or a forceful change of government whether it is a military overthrow of a so-called civilian government or another entity taking over the government what's the first thing that they go to the the last well-covered attempted coup that probably we paid much attention to here in in here in south africa was about what 10 12 years ago in in turkey the the turkish coup and uh, where it was uh, alleged still there are many 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 questions that remain unanswered in that particular coup weirdest attempted coup ever but anyway uh, it is whatever it is uh, you had this group of uh, alleged military officers supported by some of their subordinates that attempted to take over the Turkish uh, government, the ruling government. And at that time, I believe uh, President um, Rajab Tayyip Erdogan was towards the end of his first term. Or had it begun his second term already unsure? Anyway, the attempt was made and it was focused not so much in Ankara, but rather in, uh, you know, in Istanbul for a reason that your main publishing houses and your media productions uh, are not your, your Turkish national TV, all of that. They are not based in Ankara. They're based actually in, uh, you know, in, in Istanbul. And, and the first building that was in fact captured amongst, you know, before any military base, so anything of that sort was your broadcasting outlets, public as well as uh, as well as private, which gives you an ind- indication that whenever there is any usurpation of power, wherever there is a change, the first thing that is sought and looked for by the incoming entity 
are your media outlets noting very well? And now you've got a different dimension of social media as well. Noting very well that for a long, long time, for, for centuries, from the days of the town, even before the invention of radio, TV, press, media, you had the town crier, right? The king would now send out these particular messages and, and they had to be an appointed town crier in every area. And his job, paid by the government, mind you, when these official messages came once a day early in the morning to stand in the middle of the town square and shout it out on the top of his voice that by royal decree this is happening and that is happening and you know who knows uh, you know what not and as a result this here is a uh, uh, an, an indication by way of uh, you know the, the national government so from those days, it was already understood the power and the impact of the media itself, that what people hear, they are likely to, if not believe immediately, even if they meet it with a level of skepticism, government or anybody is quite confident that they hear it long enough, they'll end up either believing in it, which is the first prize, or the second prize being that they will at least tolerate it. That they will at least, what? Tolerate it. Two things. First prize and second prize. First prize being what? That they will end up believing in it. And if they do not end up believing in it, then at the very least, that they will now tolerate it. And that's why it's so important that a Muslim, a believer, surrounds themselves with the correct media. Now, one may say that what in the world is the correct media to begin with? I mean, uh, even, even media that may be tolerated to some extent, even media that may be tolerated to some extent uh, where's it from it, you know, it, it, it may have its source elsewhere, it may have its source in, in western media, in, in media that is designed for international consumption still too it is possible to take any story that be it even the product of international media that you know have got a history of antagonism with the you know with the ummah to now view it and to now balance it in a nuanced way that listen you know, this is what they have said but there's another take on the entire matter the media that comes out i'll give you an example thereof right always we've heard of the issues coming out of the you know the the, the red sea this is at least for the last few weeks you know for that matter and um, you know uh, and and the and the threat on shipping etc that the us and UK have consistently put out a narrative that, oh, you know what, we are protecting the international shipping lanes. But up until now, those so-called rebels or those, uh, you know, on, on the side or, or doing it for Palestine have not killed anybody as yet. I mean, that ship, that, that single ship that has been captured, the crew members have been allowed every single day to make a phone call home. Indians, Filipinos, uh, all of them stating very clearly uh, on multiple media outlets that, fine, we are here, uh, but we are being recent, decently well taken care of. And our embassies have been informed in Saudi Arabia or elsewhere that this is who we are and we will be making daily contact with them, uh, you know, to show that there is a humanitarian side to what these people are in fact doing. And that's the Mice liner that had been taken, you know, a few, uh, a few weeks ago. Granted, the situation is in fact a tense situation, but you would have the me mainstream media make us believe that, no, you know what, this is a 
Friday uh, attack on international shipping. And as a result, everybody needs to form this coalition in order to save us from a country that is so impoverished that 70% of the people live below the breadline. And all of a sudden, they now become the threat to the international world, not the people who are in fact... um, you know, not the people, in fact, who are now aligning themselves with the murderous regime of the state of Israel. So this year continues to be uh, a, 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 what should I say, a, a, a chagrin on human society, a debt on, on human society. That, listen here, that you have a, a media outlet that consistently puts out nonsense so that a segment of society can fall within the trap of misbelief and therefore in one way or the other it needs to be counted at least the believer looks at it in a nuanced way looks at it from the eye of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that demands that that when a fasiq that when a transgressor leave alone and open disbeliever kafir but when a fasiq now approaches you and comes to you in with any information then you seek what is right. Don't believe what this individual has got to say. Why? Because they now uh, come across in the most elo- you know, uh, eloquent of ways and they still uh, you know, have this and they have that you know, at, their, uh, at their disposal. So as a result, uh, this is an important part of how we view mainstream media.